You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another post-game episode of Locked On Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and well, this isn't a very happy one because the Rockets went down last night in shocking fashion, 117-108, to a home loss to the Indiana Pacers. They're now 42-19 overall, just three games up in the loss column over Utah for the three seed. And it's a disappointing loss on a number of levels. First, the Pacers are a mediocre team. They're 31-29, and barely over 500. They'd come in losers of 7-8, of eight, I believe. And then the Rockets' standpoint, when you have a 20-4 to lead, as they did early in this game, it takes a lot to basically be down double figures, yet that's what they were for most of the fourth quarter. From about the 550 mark of the first quarter onward, they were outscored by roughly 25 points and thoroughly dominated. And so at home, national TV, not a back-to-back, so they were rested. It's absolutely not what you want to see. A lot of the story was similar to Saturday in that they were crushed on the glass. Indiana had a rebounding advantage 55-39. to But whereas the Rockets on Saturday made 22 threes, scored 142 points to offset that, they were not nearly as hot on Monday night, made just 10 of 45 for an ugly 22%, just 36% overall from the field. And thus, the Rockets only scored 108 points, and that was nowhere near enough to overcome their issues on defense and with rebounding. And there are a lot of places that we can go in terms of analysis. Certainly the defense and rebounding needs to be better, but I'm going to start with the offense because we never expected the defense and rebounding to be elite. Now there are things the Rockets can do to hold their own a little bit more than they have the last two days, and so it should be discussed. But the recipe for the Rockets to be a contender was never about this being a team that pounds people on the glass. The recipe, of course, was uh, hitting a lot of threes, and then of course the MVP brilliance of James Harden. And the real story in this one to me, and quite frankly, the story of the Rockets for a month now, has been that we have not seen that consistent MVP brilliance from James Harden. Since January 29th, ironically, that's the last game the Rockets played the Pacers, but that's basically a full month's worth of basketball, 11 games. James is shooting barely over 37% from the field, and he's turning it over over five times per game in 36 minutes. Quite frankly, that's just not good enough. The Rockets have a very deep team in some of our recent episodes here. I've stressed the contributions they've gotten without Harden. Saturday night against the Wolves, they had a 16-0 run with Harden on the bench. Thursday night against the Pelicans, they won by 30, despite Harden just going 4 of 13, I believe. And the reason I stress those is to make the point that when we get the James Harden that we have gotten for the vast majority of this season, the guy who's probably still the MVP of the entire league, then this team can be really good. But for that to happen, that's all built on the assumption that we're going to get that version of James Harden back. Right now, we don't have that. Monday night, he was the catalyst for the shortcomings offensively. 5 of 17 from the field in his 39 minutes. Did have 29 points because he got to the line 17 times, making 14. But it's not the efficient James Harden we're used to. Now, he did cut the turnovers, had just 2 in his 39 minutes. But he needs to shoot better than that. And the story for James, yeah, he was 5 of 17. He was 1 of 9 from 3. So when I look at what ails James Harden, in the last month, he's become a guy who's very, very dependent on that 3-point shot. He started very slowly Saturday as well, was 1 of 9 at the half. 
The good news, he got it going in the second half, actually was 5 of 11 from behind the arc, and so that made the overall stat line fairly respectable. Not MVP standard, but 24 points, 10 assists on 6 of 15 shooting. That was Saturday, but again, the reason he got it going was because he hit those threes. Monday night, those never came. He finished 1 of 9, and so you had a fairly ugly stat line. Yeah, topically, he had 25 points and 12 assists and 7 rebounds, too, but the efficiency, 5 of 17, is just not going to get it done. And I think the reason you see him shoot a lot of threes, the reason the turnovers are up, I think the easiest explanation is the most plausible. He's fatigued for much of the first half of this year. He's never missed a game. He's put the team on his back. And, well, it's tough to win in the NBA at a contending level with only one star. I know I say that a lot, and some of you are probably sick of hearing it, but it's the truth. The Rockets do put a high burden on him. I know they've cut his minutes a little bit this year, but it's not just about minutes. It's about usage. And the Rockets, time and time again, when games matter in the fourth quarter, they have gone to him and basically said, rescue us. And to his credit, he's done it. That's why James, as long as the Rockets stay in this position in the Western Conference, is the MVP of the league because he's made the types of plays consistently in the clutch that Russell Westbrook has not. So you give him the edge, but at the same time, that takes a toll. And when he's not at that level, the Rockets have a lot of other nice pieces. You look at Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, Pat Beverly, Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, Clint Capella, but none of these guys is the kind of... um, guy you can point to to snap you out of a funk like the Rockets found themselves in for most of the final three quarters on Monday night. That responsibly falls to James Harden. He's done it for most of this year, and as long as he does it for the majority of the year, then yeah, he's the MVP. But lately, he hasn't done that. It's why it's the biggest factor why they lost on Monday night, in my opinion. And I think overall workload is the biggest factor. Now, he did limit the turnovers on Monday. That's a positive sign. But in my eyes, a lot of the turnovers he's had of late have been somewhat lazy passes, forcing the issue. And the common theme here, both with the turnovers and the increase in threes, I don't think you're seeing him drive the ball as authoritatively as he did in November and December. And to me, that's a symptom of tired legs. That's a player who's lagging a little bit. Just ask yourselves, when's the last time you saw a true James Harden throwdown? Him go through the lane and explode? I haven't seen that type of explosion lately, and I think fatigue is the easiest issue. Now, this is nothing that's going to derail his season. I'm sure he's going to get a second win soon enough. I know he had the All-Star break, but quite frankly, it's not as simple as just being off for eight days and then you're fixed. Fatigue doesn't really... um, work in that literal of a timetable for a lot of guys, especially when you're talking about the cumulative effect for months and months like it's been with James. Now, I do think he's going to break through. A lot of guys go through, you know, you hear a lot in baseball with dead arms, but there are guys in the NBA who have dead legs for stretches. It happens, and someone who's as serious about his fitness as James is, yeah, he's going to break through on the other side, but I do think this stretch makes you realize the limitations of a team that only has one star. That's why it's so tough to win with this model, because what if you have a stretch like this in the playoffs? You never know when it's going to happen. And sure, we always like to say that our athletes can pull through, just push through it. And they can to an extent, but over an 82-game schedule and in the playoffs, a seven-game grueling series every single round for four rounds, eventually that stuff has a way of catching up with you. So it's just a reality check for the Rockets, as good as we feel about them. Big picture, they're still 42-19 and and playing very well. There are certain limitations when James Harden has to carry his team, particularly in uh, crunch time moments, and I think we're seeing some of those now. Now, maybe you can make the argument that with Lou Williams, Lou did have a great game on Monday night, 28 points in uh, 28 minutes. Incredibly efficient. He's not the only guy that could put it in the hole, 8 of 15 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3. 
Perhaps you could argue that with that, maybe Harden's workload, especially in the fourth quarter, can go down a little bit. Maybe that helps. We'll have to see in the months ahead. But I think bigger picture, as good as Lou is, and he is a top 20 offensive player in the NBA, so maybe you can make the argument on the offensive end of the floor he is a borderline star. But you have to squint, and you have to hope that that's the reality, because big picture, I think the Rockets are always going to be a little bit prone to this unless you get James a little bit more help, not just from a standpoint of, a role player that can hit shots, but someone that can do some of the heavy lifting over the course of an 82-game season. Can Lou Williams be that guy? It's early. It might be expecting much, but he's your best shot, so let's see what happens in the weeks ahead. Like I said, at some point, James is going to get back in rhythm. I do think he's going to turn it around, and so this isn't going to be you know, some long-lasting uh, problem. But for now, it is an issue. We're basically dealing with a month of basketball in which he shot 37% from the field, and that's just not good enough. It's still really good for James as a whole, of course. When you look at his top-line numbers, 27.5 points, 10 assists, 7.5 rebounds per game. But it's by his standard. It's by the Rockets' standard. Yeah, he's still good. He's still by far the most valuable player in the league, uh, on the team and still one of the top 5 or 10 in the league, I should say. But the standard he set, and quite frankly for the Rockets con- to contend, the bar that he has to be at for them to be at that level is so high that that level of efficiency is just not going to be enough to get it done. And, of course, we do have to note that it's not just James struggling on the offensive end of the floor. Eric Gordon, we know he had the issues with the back, also the toe and the ankle in January. He missed uh, four games in late January, early February. And since he came back, he's been saying he's feeling much better, especially after the All-Star break. But it hasn't really translated to the floor. He's looked a little bit more explosive, I would say. But you look at his four games since coming back from his latest two-game absence, that's the Miami game before the break and the three games since, He's shooting 30.9% from the field and 30.8% from three because, of course, uh, Eric's three-point percentage is always going to be really close to his overall. But, um, yeah, ever since he came back, he may look a little more explosive. He may feel better, but it is not translating to the results on the court just yet. He was one of five from three against the Pacers. He was four of ten against uh, Minnesota, which was a good game for him. But the games before that, he was four of 14 and three of ten. So the formula for the Rockets, when they were at their best in November and uh, December, Harden was the undisputed MVP of the league, and Eric Gordon was a borderline all-star. If you guys remember, we were having a legitimate debate in early January on whether Eric Gordon could steal a spot on the uh, Western Conference all-star team. Since then, his efficiency is nosedive. It's not as notable as Harden because you don't have the expectations, but it's there nonetheless. And so you look at those two guys, and uh, Monday night's loss to the Pacers, they were combined 2 of 14 from three, and well, when you look at those as your two most important players on the team, that has a big deal to do with the outcome. Now, they were far from alone in this. Ryan Anderson and Trevor Ariza were also a combined two of 14 from three, so it wasn't a good game for anybody. Rockets 10 of 45 overall from behind the arc. As I said, the only truly efficient guy was Lou Williams, who hit five of 10 for his 28 points. But you know guys like Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson are going to be inconsistent. They're gonna have peaks and valleys. When you're the Rockets, when you look for someone to bail you out, it's your stars. It's your James Harden, your borderline second star in Eric Gordon, maybe Lou Williams to bail you out, and Harden and Eric Gordon are just not doing that for the Rockets on the offensive end of the court. Some of it's that, sure, it was an uncharacteristically poor night from 3, 10 of 45. They did miss a lot of open looks, and maybe if you hit 15 of 45, you win this game, and um, you know it's a survive and advance mindset. But one thing I will say I do buy the idea of some folks on Twitter that at some point you do have to recognize that those shots aren't falling and adapt. There can be such a thing as too many threes, even in 
this system. And yeah, I'm okay with shooting 58 like Saturday if you make 22 of them, but if at some point they're not falling, you do need to attack the rim, try to make plays elsewhere, and well, the guys who expect to be the uh, catalyst to making that happen are the likes of James Harden and Eric Gordon. And whether they were inside the arc or outside of it, they just were not producing at a consistent enough level on Monday night, and thus you get the overall result. Now, the other part of the equation, of course, is defense. I know we're 12 minutes into the show, and I haven't really touched on that. To me, as I said leading off, it's because some of the issues you can't really overcome. Now, I know they asked James after the game. He Someone asked him in the locker room, uh, was the size a factor why they're not getting these rebounds? And he said, no, heart. And sure, it's a little bit of a factor, but I think some of it is kind of you know, lip service. You always want to control what you can control. And so when you're the Rockets, you don't want to acknowledge your deficiencies. You want to say that, well, if we play hard enough, we should be able to overcome them. And that's the right mindset for a leader like James to be in. But from a kind of neutral analyst observer standpoint, like I am and what we try and do with this podcast, I don't know how much of it is reasonable. Could you be a little bit better? Sure. But well, the issues we talked about on Saturday, the Rockets were better in terms of their backcourt rebounding. They got seven rebounds from James Harden, six from Pat Beverly, five from Trevor Ariza. The Pacers are just a big, long team with the likes of Paul George, Miles Turner, Thaddeus Young. I will say that Ryan Anderson has got to be better than three rebounds in 20 min- 23 minutes. That's unacceptably low, and uh, that had something to do with the outcome. But certainly you're not expecting someone like Ryan to lead you in rebounding anyway. You just need to be competitive. And so were there a few more rebounds the Rockets could steal? Yeah, if they steal a little bit more, maybe you shrink the gap from minus 16 in the glass to something like minus 10, and that might give you a, a better position to kind of steal this game late. But in reality, there are certain deficiencies roster deficiencies, I would call them, for this team, and they are what they are. That's why I'm a little bit more fixated on the offensive end of the court. By the way, another guy to kind of keep your eye on, Sam Decker, just one of five in his 12 minutes, had zero rebounds. Typically, Sam Decker's kind of guy you put in for energy in a matchup like this, and you think that that can give you a few rebounds. For him not to get none in 12 minutes, you have to worry about, you know, is he hitting a little bit of a rookie wall because he's never played this many games in a season before. Small sample, so... um, and he only played 12 minutes on Monday night. So it's a little unfair to draw any sweeping conclusions from that, but something to keep an eye on, because certainly that zero in the rebounding column for him in 12 minutes is uh, definitely very atypical from what you usually come to expect with his energy. The real story, though, for me, is the center position when it comes to the defense and rebounding. Now, you guys know I've been a little harsh on Clint Capella at times on this show. I'm not the biggest fan of his rim protection, and I think a lot of the times the plus-minus stats bear that out. On Monday, however, in his 24 minutes, 8 points and 7 rebounds, uh, 2 blocks, which is a respectable line, in 24 minutes. But he was a team best plus 14. And yet he barely played in the fourth quarter of that game. And you could tell the trust is not really there from head coach Mike D'Antoni. Nene played 19 minutes. He got the lion's share of those. Yet he was a minus 13 in those. Now he did have 15 points and 7 rebounds, but the team was clearly worse when Nene was on the floor. It looked to me like he was not moving side to side at all on defense. He was a little stuck in mud. Nene was active, and I commented on that during the game in terms of finishing around the rim and controlling his area, but the team defense sagged when he was in there, which led to uh, some poor rotations. It also led to him not really boxing out if the rebound wasn't in his zone, and while that leads to a lot of uh, tip balls and just crazy things happening because he's not really executing the fundamentals. And again, Nene's 34 years old. I don't think he's not trying. I think there are limitations. I think the easier thing to look at with this is Clint Capella. He's your starting center. He's plus 14 in his 24 minutes. 
And yet you can tell that when the chips are down, Mike D'Antoni does not really want to trust him. And at this point, it's an issue that needs to be discussed because the Rockets had an opportunity to upgrade the position. We heard whispers about the guys they might go after at the deadline, the likes of Costa Kufas. They came close to a deal with Anas Yunus, then ultimately walked away. It's been an issue. The Rockets chose not to address it. We heard from people close to the team, most notably Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans, on this podcast. The Rockets were uh, very high on Clint. They were excited with the center rotation they have. And yet, even in a game where his stat line's pretty good and the plus-minus figures were fantastic, the trust is not there. And, in my opinion, it needs to be addressed one way or the other. Either you need to have a willingness to experiment with him, and to me, this is the game where... If the stats are pretty good and the plus-minus is there, then see what happens with him down the stretch and see what happens when the Pacers attack him with their starters. If nothing else, you use it as a learning experience. Or if you don't trust him, then you need to be honest with yourself and maybe be more aggressive. Obviously, the trade deadline's passed, but you still have the buyout market that you can do some things with. But it kind of strikes me uh, as an observer that the Rockets, at least in their public statements, aren't being fully honest with themselves about Clint Capella. They all talk a very positive game. They love his work ethic, and we all see that. He's a good kid. They acknowledge the enormous positives he brings to the game. He certainly looks the part of a dynamic center. But yet, you continue to see, and Monday was a great example of that, that when the chips are down, they do not um, fully trust him. And this was a game, again, in which the plus-minus was actually very favorable for Clint. So... I don't know what discussions they're having internally. It's a little unfair to just assume that everything people say is the truth, because obviously there's a lot of gamesmanship. But at least in their public statements, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, I'd say lack of continuity, because you just need to be honest with yourself. Is he the guy? If he is, then Monday's a great opportunity to kind of throw him out there and see what happens, and if he can push through and give you the kind of games that he gave you at the end of November when he was playing at a borderline star level. And if he's not then I don't understand why they're not more active uh, looking at bigs, A, at the traded line, and B, now at the buyout market. It's a little confusing, and I know that uh, it certainly wasn't a down game for Clint, but anytime you're basically uh, giving up a layup line, as the Rockets were to the Pacers for a lot of this game, and you're out-rebounded 55-39, to the first thing you look at is your uh, rebounding at center, your overall rim protection, and whatever's going on with Clint Capella, again, his actual stats were not bad at all. Eight points, seven rebounds, two re- uh, two blocks in those 24 minutes, four of six from the field, team best plus 14. But um, yet he still did not get over 24 minutes. So something's going on there, and the Rockets need to address it one way or the other moving forward. And final note, since I didn't mention it briefly, a uh, little bit of a buyout update. I talked to some people at Toyota Center. Now, if you want my full thoughts on the buyout, Turn on to uh, yesterday's podcast. I did a show breaking down the signing of Isaiah Taylor, the rookie guard out of Texas playing for the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, and also talked about a lot of the options, both Andrew Bogut and non-Bogut options from around the league. So if you want my extended thoughts on that, check out yesterday's podcast. Did want to throw in a couple of notes that I heard from kind of asking around Monday at Toyota Center. First, on the Andrew Bogut thing. The Rockets have not ruled him out. We did see reports Monday evening that... Uh, Bogut was going to meet with the Cavaliers, the Rockets, the Spurs, and the Celtics. And on paper, he would seem to be a fit for some of these rebounding and especially rim protection issues. He would give the Rockets a defensive-minded nasty streak in the middle that they don't have. Even with three centers, Nene, Montrezl Harrell, and Clint Capella, they don't really have that mean streak. That's something that Bogut would certainly provide. However, I was told the concern with Bogut is that he is not in very good shape at the moment. The Rockets are very concerned about his fitness, and then you combine that with uh, 
the statements that he made earlier this year about the reason that he did not want to come to Houston being Mike D'Antoni's system. He thought he'd have to drop 20 pounds to fit in in it. And that's where you have to wonder about the fit. Now, I know the Rockets are kind of rumored by the national media to be in on him. Some people that were close to that team speculated to me that maybe that's the agent name-dropping the Rockets, putting them in the conversation to kind of build a market for his client beyond just Cleveland, see if he can serve more money. Or maybe it's legitimately trying to push the Rockets to the table, knowing that the Rockets have the most money. And maybe the Rockets take the leap of faith. It's not impossible that they do, because certainly he brings you, especially you look back at the last couple of years, some of the things that they seem to be missing in the middle. And he would potentially be a nice option in games like the last two, when the Pacers and Timberwolves just abused them at the basket. But I was told that they are not as high on Bogut as a lot of the initial reports indicated because there are some concerns with his fitness. I don't think it 100% derails the deal, but I think uh, a little bit the cart's ahead of the horse in regards to the Rockets' interest. They'd have to have a bit more of a uh, conversation with him to see where his head is at. Maybe that's going to happen in the days ahead. But I don't think it's something that the Rockets are desperate for uh, Andrew Bogut at this particular time. The other guy I asked about was Matt Barnes, because we know the Rockets, there are some issues with... um, Wing defense at times, after trading Corey Brewer, Trevor Ariza is really your only true wing defender. And so ideally, you'd have another backup small forward that you could uh, spell Ariza with. Ariza, Monday night's game, played 36 minutes, which is 2 of 10 for 6 points, 0 of 7 from behind the arc. So perhaps uh, fatigue's a little bit of an issue with him as well. And there's some concerns that, well, maybe you don't need rim protection since you're already playing three centers. Maybe you need more defense on the perimeter to stop the cutters from getting to the basket in the first place. Because, you know, you could see it both ways. The traditional rim protector or adding more perimeter defense to kind of uh, relieve the load inside. You can go either way. But when you look at the wing defenders, Matt Barnes is certainly the most notable name out there. And I said before, while on paper, he would seem to fit with the Rockets and what they need. There is the history between him and James Harden. There is the personal beef. And so I could see a scenario where the Rockets were not going to uh, go after him based on the quote-unquote locker room fit. Well, I asked around the bad news. I don't know if bad is the right way to put it, but um, the Rockets themselves have not expressed much interest, at least that I know. However, the good news, I talked to some people um, who had been in contact with uh, those close to James, and folks close to James did not turn away the idea. In fact, they said they thought he would be interested Now, I cannot vouch for that 100%. It's not that James said himself he wanted Matt Barnes. But if there is a personal beef that would drive a wedge between a potential uh, Matt Barnes signing with the Rockets, it would be the issues that he has had in the past with James Harden, most likely the the playoff incident with his mom. And I was told that James's people are not uh, opposing the Matt Barnes idea. Now, the Rockets at this time have not really made any serious inquiries on him. I don't think he's at the front of the list for what they're looking at, but what that tells me is that if James decided to ask for it, it could happen. That's something to keep in the back of your mind moving forward. I don't think the Rockets are there yet. We'll see what happens in the next few games. The schedule is going to get rougher, but uh, and the Rockets are certainly be looking for external help. They do have the open roster spot, even after signing Isaiah Taylor. They do have the $3.5 million to help make it happen, especially for veterans who are highly sought after around the league. I don't think, from what I hear, that Matt Barnes at the top of the Rockets list in terms of what the front office is uh, looking at at this particular time. However, uh, James Harden is not opposed to the idea simply because he's Matt Barnes. In fact, a lot of people close to James think that he would uh, he would like it. And so I don't think it's at a point where you're going to see a deal today, tomorrow, anytime soon. But it's worth keeping in the back of your mind moving forward that the folks close to James say that he has not uh, ruled out that idea. In fact, it sounds like he's actually in favor of it if the Rockets were to go that particular route. 
And I know some of you are going to say, well, why don't they just sign both? Sign a wing defender such as Matt Barnes and a big. But as I said on the show yesterday, if you want my extended thoughts, please check on that. But really, the Rockets, they already have a full rotation as it is now. It's going to be tough enough to get minutes for one of those guys, let alone two new players. Mike D'Antoni does not like a long rotation, especially this close to the playoffs. His history shows that he kind of shrinks to an eight- or nine-man rotation. So I just don't think it's quite reasonable to add two new players, both of whom will be veterans and expecting to play. I don't know how that's going to work. I think uh, development also matters, and that's why the Rockets went after Isaiah Taylor, someone they can keep in the fold for three years and uh, potentially be a cheap replacement this summer or next if they have to uh, move one of their guards and need a a cheap, cost-controlled in-house replacement. That matters, too. I don't think you want to uh, use both of those roster spots on veterans on one-year deals, especially if they're not going to play. And so right now, when you have the Rockets full rotation, it's tough enough to fit in one new face, let alone two. The Rockets just have to uh, be honest with themselves and say, do we think it's the wing defense? Do we think it's a... uh, perimeter guy inside, what is the easiest fit? Where do we most need to help? And as I said, I think it starts with being honest with themselves. I wouldn't necessarily say the public statements they've made are um, equivalent to what they say in private, but I do think there's a little bit of a disconnect between some of the uh, things we've heard about the likes of Clint Capella in terms of what they say publicly, and then what we see both ourselves in the games and B, uh, of the positions that Mike Antonio puts his players in in the games. So I think we need to have a real discussion as far as the Rockets go and uh, with the buyout candidate that might dictate the direction they go in terms of another big or a wing defender because clearly they could use a little bit more help one way or another as they try and close out uh, this season and hold on to the three seed. And really that's a big deal because as I said leading off the show, the lead in the loss column is down to three. Utah is playing some really good ball in the Rockets' next three games. They're at the Clippers, home for Memphis, at San Antonio, and then they're at Utah. So you can absolutely see a scenario where this thing is down to uh, one or two games very easily, if not even closer than that by the time the Rockets play at Utah next week. That's part of why the Indiana loss stings so much, because the schedule is about to get very real in a hurry. The Rockets' next six games at the Clippers, home for Memphis, at San Antonio, home for Utah, at Chicago, home for Cleveland. That's a very tough stretch, and so you'd like to take care of business against a mediocre team like Indiana, especially at home before that stretch. Unfortunately, the Rockets did not, and so uh, it, it's a little bit deflating. Like I said, the good news is that it's fixable. As far as problems go, if James Harden is the lead problem you're talking about, big picture, that's good, because ultimately we do trust James to figure it out, but I have to hope he does soon, because if he doesn't, a stretch like this can absolutely uh, put the Rockets behind the eight ball in a hurry. So we'll see what happens. It Comes next Wednesday night, a late game in Los Angeles. You know the Rockets going to be jacked for it. Hopefully that gives James Harden the second burst that he needs. But it's going to be a very challenging stretch. One in which we would have loved the Rockets to have taken care of business going in on the front end. And, well, unfortunately, they just did not do that on Monday night against the Pacers. Anyway, I will wrap things there. Thanks to all of y'all for listening. Again, I'm Ben DuBose, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben DuBose. This is Locked on Rockets, your only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked on Rockets. You can also subscribe to us anywhere you uh, listen to your media, iTunes, Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher, just search for Locked on Rockets. You can find any of our 150 or so archives. We've been going at this on a daily basis since July. I appreciate all of y'all for tuning in, and well, we've got plenty of buyout talk. It's not just post-game shows. We've got lots of other uh, trade deadline buyout talk in the past week, so if you haven't heard those episodes, please look into our archives, and you can 
hear anything you want about this basketball team. We want to be a resource for you, the fan. We want to answer your questions. So if you've got thoughts, if you've got more questions about the team, just don't hesitate to reach out and email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. I'm always receptive. Also, if you'd like to inquire about becoming a potential sponsor of this rapidly growing program, we've got a huge audience of 18 to uh, 54-year-old males. Studies show that uh, podcast listeners love buying stuff from their favorite podcast. So if we can help you out, you would be helping us as well, just email us at LockedOnRockets at gmail.com, and I can put you in touch with our ad representatives. We've got a great and very quickly growing audience. I think we had over uh, 15,000 listens last week. So first off, thanks for you guys for uh, listening so much to me and making me a daily part of your lives. But beyond that, uh, if you can help us on the financial side, and well, we might can help you as well. Don't hesitate to reach out. Last time, Rockets, uh, LockedOnRockets excuse me, at gmail.com. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. I'll be back at it tomorrow when the Rockets take on the Clippers in Los Angeles. Late game, nationally televised ESPN. Should be fun. Hopefully the MVP version of James Harden is back on display then. Until then, have a good day.